Either Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, Richard Rich must be stopped. It's our happy Christmas episode. Christmas. We would say holiday episode, but this is very explicitly a Christmas special that we're covering. Oh, golly, is it ever. Oh, golly. (laughs) It's barely even like secular Christmas. There's barely a Santa Claus mentioned in here. I dare would say it's not secular at all, especially considering some of the Christmas songs they play. Oof. Okay, man. All right, let's let's back up from that, though. Who is Richard Rich? Richard Rich is a director. I think uh, a while back he founded what's called Crest Animation Productions after leaving Disney. Yeah, he got his directorial debut with Fox and the Hound and the Black Cauldron. So there's a, a wildly veering level of quality there. And he was like, no, I can do better. He left Disney and he started his own thing called Crest Animation Productions, which he then released The Swan Princess and every sequel to that. Uh, things such as The King and I and... Uh, Uh, Alpha and Omega and all of its amazing sequels. He also, according to IMDb, directed a whole bunch of animated stories from the Bible and animated stories from the Book of Mormon. That explains a lot about this, actually. He also explains that I just looked it up and there's a new swan princess out called Princess Tomorrow Pirate Today. Ah, you spoiled my surprise. So Richard Rich has either written, directed, or produced, sometimes all three, every single Swan Princess movie, including this one, which came out in 2012. For those of you playing along at home, The Swan Princess came out in 1994. And its two sequels, Escape from Castle Mountain in 1997 and The Mystery of the Enchanted Treasure in 1998, which means, yes, there was 14 years in between Swan Princesses? Oh my god. So that's in total, including the new one that Mackenzie spoiled your surprise on. That's one, two, three, four, five of them. Yeah. Somehow I was expecting this to be a lot more like Land Before Time. I was expecting like 12. Honestly, I think he's heading there. Yeah, I think that's his goal because Alpha and Omega came out in 2010 and then now there's four Alpha and Omega sequels, which are all like 45 minutes long. And I'm getting the feeling that Swan Princess is probably going to be like bumping that number up too because Alpha and Omega 2 and all of its little mini sequels are all about the puppies, these horrible, horrible nightmare puppies of the main characters from Alpha and Omega and Swan Princess, a royal family tales about Derek and Odette adopting an orphan. And now Princess Tomorrow Pirate Today from the preview video I watched on Amazon is pretty much all about that adopted daughter. So wait, that's six. That's six Swan Princess movies. Yeah, that's now. Yeah, we're up to six now. Oh, my God. Yeah. Richard Rich must be stopped because, oh, boy, he discovered CGI and oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, it's a nightmare. It's the worst. Oh, it is not translate. I don't have quite the knee jerk reaction to CGI animation that a lot of other, you know, animation snobs seem to have. But this is really bad CGI animation. Imagine if we took the animation quality of like the first season of Reboot and made it crappier. And uh, oh man, the teeth is back though, except now they're all individual teeth and especially on Odette. I love the teeth so much. Anything but like a neutral expression on Odette is a goddamn nightmare. They try to make her smile and it looks like the Joker. <laughs> like that's that's the sound that she makes every time she opens her mouth. <laughs> characters will pop from one frame to the next. And don't get me started on the particle effects. And this 
is the new standard of Richard Witch quality now. You can tell he's trying to make not one, but two Land Before Time sagas that probably won't even lead into a TV show. And honestly, the Land Before Time sagas, after you skip like three through six, they actually get kind of good. How did they survive the Stone of Cold Fire? Because that definitely seemed like a meteorite event to me from the title. Weren't there aliens? I mean, I thought they were going extinct in the first movie. This is all a death throes dream. All I really remember is that I liked them after the sixth one. Okay, so let's get into the Swan Princess Christmas. Which starts with a song that is supposed to be Joy to the World, but isn't quite. And also 8 million years of logos. And then after the 8 million years of logos, they have the gall to follow it up with 8 million years of producer credits before the title screen. Like, it's okay. We know. We know this movie was funded by like 8 billion production companies because not a single one of them wanted to commit the full budget. We know. You don't have to prove it to us. It took a village to make this garbage fire. And then after all of that, they have the cojones to remind us of that very pretty opening water animation in the original one. Except this time they do it with really cheap water effects in 3D animation. Which water is hard to do in 3D. It is the hardest thing to do. And they just do this with like a crappy particle effect that looks more like gelatin. This is notably why for Moana, Disney hired a whole team to just focus on the water effects. Yeah, but Disney has a budget. So while apparently I guess the assets for the movie loads, we have a black screen and out comes Rogers. Oh God, teeth. You remember Rogers, the conductor with the huge schnoz in the first one who had like one of the only good lines and clearly hated everyone? Well, he's an inventor now. I guess. And he talks directly at the camera about all this kingdom's Christmas traditions and how important it is to be good on Christmas and how all these ornaments on the Christmas tree represent moments of pure goodness. And okay, here's the thing. Rogers and most of the other main characters, their entire faces have been properly rigged. As horrifying as they are, they have like proper facial expressions. But then they bring on these two peasant characters and the peasant characters haven't been fully rigged in the face. It's just their mouths that move, which means they've got these cold, dead eyes and it's terrifying. I love that Rogers like desperately tries to say, hey, Christmas is real good, right? You know all these Christmas things, right? Candy canes, carolers, stockings. You know all the nice things that these words conjure? Yeah, buckle up, abandon all hope. And one of these ornaments is like the widow Uberta consoling some kid wearing black at a gravestone. Is that is that somebody else's dead husband? Or is that supposed to be Derek? I just don't know. Maybe she just randomly goes to graveyards and consoles people who are crying in front of tombstones. I don't know. And Rogers is like, the royal Christmas tree is Christmas. So, you know, that's not going to be important. And then I guess the loading screens are done because then we just sort of come up on Swan Lake Castle, which is barely rendered because it's barely in this movie. Oh, look, it's that lake I bet Odette never wanted to see again. And then Derek moved her next door to it. Hey, look, honey, let's renovate that dungeon where you were trapped while you thought I was going to declare my love to another woman and kill you. What do you want to put up there? Like pastels? Some water? paper. Let's turn it into a nursery for the children we're not going to have for whatever reason. Because we don't understand sex. Well, you can't have sex. That's why you have so many cartoon characters with nephews. You can still have children, but your cartoon character didn't do the sex. Anyway, we don't even go inside the castle. Instead, we follow along the sleigh that's leaving the castle and oh, they bought the rights to Jingle Bells. 
You don't buy the rights to Jingle Bells. These are all public domain Christmas songs. Have I mentioned how much I hate Jingle Bells? I don't think you have, but we can talk about it if you want. I don't really have anything to say about it besides the fact that I fucking hate Jingle Bells. I think part of it is that I had to play it in band and the bass line for that song is just dismal. What did you play in band again? Trombone. Oh, yeah. I was the littlest trombone player. That's adorable. It's a lot better than Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy was literally on tuba, pianissimo, B-flat. At 142 measures. Wow. Yeah, I don't think tuba's capable of pianissimo. You might as well just not play. Yeah, so all the animal sidekicks are also here too, and they all have like these horrifically rendered hats. And they also couldn't afford to get John Cleese and Stephen Wright back. So John Bob the Frog is now an even worse French accent. Puffin sounds vaguely Scottish, and Speed is just some guy doing this for like an hour and a half. He's not even trying. No. By the way, this movie is almost feature length. It is an hour and 24 minutes. I had to keep pausing this movie and stepping away from it. I had to keep taking breaks from this movie. Why is it feature length? This is like a 22 minute Christmas special stretched out over the course of an hour and a half. So Jean-Bob says he is boycotting Christmas because it is harder for him to sexually harass women to turn him into a prince. Yeah, that's still a plot point for him, I guess. I guess we're still doing this. There's a great moment where Speed is like, well, I like Christmas. It gives me a chance to relax and slow down, at which point Jean-Bob is like, yeah, the rest of the year you're busy as a beaver pelt, which is actually a funny line and possibly the only one in the movie. Oh, yeah, I guess you just got to get the jokes out of the way so you can make room for the jokes. And then Odette basically yells back at them, you're not singing, animals. I must hear you sing. And then they start off with goddamn jingle bells again. And then we just skip ahead further down the road where there is the worst looking cat I've ever seen. Is this cat in the other movies or do they introduce him in this one? It's introduced in this one. Number nine is the cat's name. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. They write this scene like we're supposed to know who this cat is. So I assumed he was in the previous movies, but he's not. This is his first scene ever. That's just Richard Rich approving really bad writing. Yeah, so here he is. He's a cat named number nine. And then he talks to a disembodied voice, which you would think there would be like a mystery of who this could possibly be and will build some tension. But he immediately identifies it as Rothbart. And this cat is nervously pacing in a circle because this cat fears death more than anything else because this cat only has one life left out of nine. And also like he pops several times while he's walking in that circle and he kind of hovers above the snow for a little bit and it's not the greatest sequence. Rothbard's apparently like gang pressed this cat into helping him kill Derek. And he's done it by promising uh, he'll restore the cat's other lives basically. And that's like a recurring conversation. This cat is the source of a lot of capital J jokes. So you know, buckle up. And here comes the sludge and Odette's like, oh Christmas has the best holiday music. Said no one who ever worked in retail. Are there other holidays that have specific songs. Well, Pumpkin Awareness Day apparently does. Oh my God, Derek. I like the idea that Odette has nothing but contempt for the dreidel song. Okay, so Odette's voice actress is actually doing a pretty decent impression of Odette from the other movies. Derek's voice actor isn't even trying. He's nowhere close. I looked it up and it turns out that the voice actress for Odette is credited as a woman named Elle Dietz, who is actually a voice actress named Laura Bailey, who's like in a bunch of video game stuff and does a show I like called Critical Role, which is 
Dietz's voice actors playing D&D. Wait, really? I have a very strong suspicion that L. Dietz is her version of Cordwainer Bird in that it's the name you put on something when you don't want to put your name on something. Derek's voice actor felt no such shame. Derek's voice actor is Yuri frickin' Lowenthal. Oh my god. <laughs> Yuri frickin' Lowenthal in his most, like, bro voice possible. Okay, so this is the thing that's happening, I guess. Yuri Lowenthal and Laura Bailey just gonna wade through this nightmare. Also, there's this recurring thing that comes up here that Odette has some sort of list of things that she has written herself that she must do for Christmas. I guess it's supposed to be a plot point, but it just sort of pops up randomly, like we keep forgetting about it. Also, her being the kind of person to make checklists is a character trait of hers now, I guess. I guess. Whatever happened to flirting with guards, Odette? I want that Odette back. Oh, and the one who read and was really good at chess? Nope, that was scrubbed from existence the moment she got hot. Now she's good at making lists and singing Christian songs. Anyway, the sleigh stops and they get this front shot of both of them and the horse. And for once, the horse isn't the most unheimlich thing on screen. By comparison, anyway. And then they're like, oh, teehee, we're underneath some mistletoe. And then John Bob's like, I smell a subplot. John Bob has found yet another way to sexually harass women. Yay. In the animated sequels too and beyond, there's no question of like, if someone's speaking animal or not, just the animals talk. They just talk. They talk to people. It's fine. Really? Because I was really, really happy about the fact that in the big dramatic scene where Odette screams, Derek, in the first movie, it was basically this really long, sad swan honk. I liked that. And I'm sad that it's been taken away from me. Yeah. A race from existence along with clever Odette. We all lose things we love, Kit, to Richard Rich. And that's why he must be stopped. So I guess they just sort of move on and the cat just sort of gets off the side of the road. And it freezes over for reasons that are unspecified. Yeah, I guess it's just cold out there or something. I think it's it's implied that Rothbart was doing it. Maybe it accomplishes exactly nothing. It's not a very good scene. Then we go to Uberta's castle. More specifically, we revisit the imp. The horrible, horrible gremlin and his hag wife. Right, so the hag from the first movie. See, in the the second movie and beyond, she became some sort of lady-in-waiting for Odette because I guess they were too lazy to make any more character models and, like, she speaks in some kind of weird broken English rather than being mute. And also, I guess she's just into some real kinky shit with the imp. I mean, they have to be. This movie makes us watch them kiss a lot. Like, so much. It's really upsetting. I mean, he's like, I have- no, see, I can't- I can't make out. I have to wait for Derek and Odette and then blow the horn to a announce them. Otherwise, Uberta will actually kill me. And then she's like, how about we make out? And then they make out. Richard, why? Richard, Ricky, come on, man. And so they show up and the imp blows the horn. And it turns out that Rogers invented wind chimes. Rogers is an inventor now, and also wind chimes needed to be invented. Like, I'm pretty sure that was one of the first things people invented. And these are like the cheap wind chimes that you find at like the dollar store. They all have swans at the top, and they all play the notes from far longer than forever. And somehow always in the right order. Why do people have to keep reminding Odette that she spent an inordinate amount of time as a swan? That seems like a dick move to me. And then Derek's like, so Uberta picks out a new theme every year for Christmas, and this year it's the Swan Prince says Christmas. Well, thanks, Uberta. Thanks for reminding me of my traumatic past. Hey, that thing that happened is a direct result of my father dying and being slaughtered by a great animal. And then I had to like stay there while he sexually harassed me every single night. He's my uncle, by the way. I'm not sure if I specified this. He's my evil uncle, I guess. 
Because, you know, that added an extra layer of awful to this whole thing. Anyway, I'm really glad that you think swans are pretty. Incidentally, I could have broken your arm as a swan and I chose not to. Swans are monsters. Derek's also like, so, there are two Ubertas. There's regular Uberta and there's Christmas Uberta. I'm not sure what the difference is supposed to be. Like, in some versions, Christmas Uberta is the nice one. And in some version, Christmas Uberta is, like, the really, really, really mean, like, intense one. And I can't tell which is supposed to be the canon Christmas Uberta. Wasn't regular Uberta really, really, really intense. Yeah, she was really overbearing anyway, so I'm not sure how Christmas Uberta being overbearing is much of a difference. Also, this is apparently their first Christmas together. It's been like 20 years and apparently five movies, and this has all happened in under a year? No, 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 no. Actually, I saw the first five minutes of the Swan Princess sequel once, and they specifically referred to Derek forgetting that it's their first anniversary. So this is a midquel. Oh, God. This is also the first Christmas since, you know, her entire kingdom just sort of went away, was annexed. Got yanked into Alberta's kingdom? Everybody rising up against the bourgeoisie? Listen, listen, let's not get distracted by that. Let's instead get distracted by all the physics in Derek's hair. Oh my god! Everybody's hair bounces constantly. It's like it's a shampoo commercial. My favorite, though, my favorite thing in this whole freaking movie is the way they drew Odette's hair. Because they went with the basic shape of the hair from the 2D animated versions, and then they just the animated individual hairs that followed that pattern. Odette's hair is just made up of maybe about like 20 individual hairs. I swear to God, it's a nightmare. She looks like a Gorgon. Anyway, Ubert is like, okay, let's go bring out the ornaments for ornament day, which is a thing. And then the cat like is here and wanders inside and John Bomb's like, I'm ready to sexually harass some human women. Thanks, John Bob. Thanks for being in this movie. Thanks, buddy. Your presence really added to the entire of the narrative. So the cat sneaks down to the cellars and along the way he implies that he lost four of his lives because he is a quote unquote black cat. He's not. He's white and black. And that people beat him to death because of superstitions about a black cat. Incidentally, adopt black cats at your local shelter because they never get adopted. Merry Christmas! This cat is like living in a Final Destination movie. He is terrified of like some freak accident killing him. There's two things happening in the cellar here. One is the that the imp is giving some NPC the royal Christmas star and then the imp and the hag make out again. Oh, why do they keep doing this to us? And there's even like a jokey joke about how they're making out like a whole lot and we really need to move the plot forward, but we just keep showing them making out. And then the cat locates this like extraordinarily detailed box with a great big letter R on it. What could the R stand for, everybody? Rothbard says that Derek has to open this box because Derek's the one that killed Rothbard. Is this some sort of like phylactery box? Is this a a horcrux? Either way, I I just call it the Roth box. Yeah, perfect. The Roth box. It's like this thing has more love and care put into it than maybe any other model in this movie. It is really detailed. Like all the other crates in this room are just like a box shape made in 3DS Max with a texture on it. This this actually has like details. And speaking of models, uh, we go up to the kitchen where Odette is finishing up a gingerbread castle and someone is like, the orphans are going to love it. Oh, God. 
God. It should be worth noting that Odette previously said on her list was making pumpkin pie for the widows. Like this movie almost makes a joke out of how selfless and pure and good Odette is, but also she's barely in this movie. Also, I just I just kind of enjoy the idea that all the widows gather in a singular group complex somewhere and that they put out a, a sign going pies for the widows and the widows all just kind of show up and gather and it's like a monthly or yearly thing. I don't know. You saying all the widows showing up and gathering reminds me of like a whole bunch of ducks that heard somebody had bread. Pies, 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 pies. I've not had pies since my husband died. And then we go to the princesses on parade ballroom. Painstakingly duplicated. How about we just, uh, how about we just trot out a show choir? A show choir doing an excessively modern poppy version of Deck the Halls. There's this little like orchestra they have set up in the corner, which is a lie because this is all synth. Well, didn't you know that the orchestra learned how to play synth instruments? My favorite part is that like all of these horrifically auto-tuned Christmas songs performed by the junior year show choir from your high school. These are pretty much only the first verse. They only bothered to do the first verse and then they just sort of stop. And also the movie just grinds to a halt while any of these are playing. Odette shows her approval of Deck the Halls by grimacing and displaying her horrible teeth. You can see like the mesh of her face deforming a little bit at the corners. And then they go for a very glee hark the herald angels sing. Uh, so the Christians, I guess? The more this movie goes on, the more Christian the songs get to the point where singing the most Christian song saves Christmas. It's one thing if you're like a Christian nation. That's something that's not unheard of in fairy tales. A lot of fairy tale renditions that survive to this day, some of the older ones will just directly be like, and then she prayed to God and was a good Christian and then the witch died. But this is supposed to be like a fantasy world. Like this is supposed to be a Middle Earth. And generally speaking, especially with like your princess things and especially the Disney princess sort of microcosm, which this one is definitely imitating, you don't really bring any of that up. I think the closest you get is like that time in Aladdin where the Sultan said, Allah forbid you should have any daughters. It's fairly simple to separate secular Christmas from religious Christmas, at least in terms of focusing entirely on Santa Claus and maybe vaguely referencing some sort of thing that happened that maybe that's why Christmas is today, but mostly Santa Claus. Hallmark movies got it down basically to a T because you will watch 12 Hallmark movies and find no reference to like Jesus ever. It'll be like, but Santa is coming and Santa gives me all this special advice about how you need to be a kind person this season. It's not about gifts. It's about kindness and friendship. Anyway, Uberta and Rogers want Odette to do a number for the Christmas Eve pageant, I guess. I guess? The show choir performance? Yep, they want her to produce, direct, and possibly write a song for them to perform. She's voluntold into doing this. Oh yeah, and it's like, what, the 20 first, maybe? It's plenty of time. It's fine. And then we go out to the forest where Derek and Brom, you remember Brom, his coward friend, uh, which is definitely hyphenated. Brom and Derek are going out to find the Christmas tree for Ornament Day, and they're going out to Ice Leopard Pass. And also the cat is stowed away in Derek's knapsack. Surrounded by knives. Again, this cat is trapped in a Final Destination movie. So guess what else Derek brought along with him? It couldn't possibly be 
a snowboard. It's Roger's new invention, a snowboard. Oh, God. What does Roger specialize in? What is he actually interested in inventing? Because it seems like he just receives premonitions from the future and then makes them. But only the rad ones. Roger's is the anachronism engine in this movie. All the anachronisms in this movie are blamed directly on Roger's. So Derek sees an ice leopard. Brom goes careening down the mountain in his skis. And then the ice leopard chases after Brom. And I am using ice leopard in severe quotation marks because there is nothing about this animal that is rigged to move like a living creature. There are about like 12 different bones in its legs. It noodles around. And then Derek gives chase on his snowboard. And we get some really bad snow effects. Oh my god, this chase lasts for like seven minutes. This chase lasts for seven minutes and all the snow particles are just like, they're flat snowflake textures that have been piled up in a 2D plane to cover up whatever 3D model they want to be quote unquote buried. It's really bad. Like, look, we're not asking that you be frozen, which developed like 12 different kinds of snowpack for their engines. And three different faces. Yeah, you know, they, they had a budget. They can't do everything everything, Kit. Instead, it's just like dandruff that gets pulled up from a white plane. And then Derek fucking kills a leopard and maybe two. Yeah, they never actually show Derek killing the thing. All we get is this thing leaping on Brom. From his point of view, he's about to die. He closes his eyes. He opens them again. He's not dead. He looks down. There's a dead snow leopard. It's implied that Derek shot it. And then we pan out to number nine going, oh my God, he's a cat killer. And nine is down in the Rothbox room. And he's like, no, I'm out. I'm done. Goodbye. And then Rothbard's like, I'll give you nine. Nine lives. And that was the scene. Now for a frog to sexually harass women. Yay. Ice skating. I don't know why this scene is in the movie. It's like they just needed five more minutes. So they made this unnecessarily long sequence of a frog sexually harassing some women. I would argue that needing five more minutes is the reason most of these scenes are in this movie. Yeah, you're not wrong. Odette just sort of comes by and asks like Speed and Puffin to help her come up with like a music number. And they're like, nah, we're going to like not intervene with our frog having extremely inappropriate behavior and just sort of watching the shit get kicked out of instead. And then they do that. And then John Bob is, Christmas is the reason I can't get smooches. And Odette's like, that's it! Christmas is the reason! I love that song! Yeah. Yep. 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 So yeah, Odette asks her goofy animal sidekicks to help her produce this number for the Christmas pageant. Because they're good at that? That's something they're qualified to do. One of them has thumbs for some reason. And it's not the one you think it is. So Derek gets back with a tree after killing leopards and Rogers begs Uberta to let him use his brand new invention to light the tree. The light bulb. He's invented the light bulb presumably before electricity. He invented the light bulb before electricity and specifically to light this tree. Should we talk about how early light bulbs set a lot of trees on fire when they were first being used for as as tree lights? Nah, irrelevant. Should we talk about how he decided to use this for Christmas before like anything else? Irrelevant. Did he make the light bulb before or after the snowboard? I'd like to think it was the same evening. Eureka! Also Eureka! He had to celebrate his light bulb invention with a sweet sweet snowboard kickflip. He had to shred some powder. So now it's ornament day. There's a song. 
Oh, God. I had forgotten there were original songs in this. Three songs and a bunch of public domain Christmas songs. This is how you make a movie. Oh, boy. And uh, they will drop in a musical number for like no reason, too. Because again, they needed to pad this movie. I make it feature length. So Ornament Day, which is a real holiday, is I guess the day in which they dress up the tree. This enormous tree that Derek chopped down from the woods. What's the bet that something like endangered was living in that? Oh, like two to one. Master Hunter. And these animals talk. And like we have this entire musical number where they wander through the town talking about how great Christmas is. And according to this movie, you knit socks by spinning a wheel and socks just come flying out of it. I mean, isn't that how socks are made? Also, there's like no lip sync in this thing. My favorite part of this, though, is that they couldn't afford to finish the tree erecting sequence. So it's just a bunch of stills of like the stages of getting the tree up and and having the ornaments put on it and the scaffold erected around it and everything. It's incredible. Because all of the budget for this scene went into this freaking ornament that Derek, I just, I guess, got made or enchanted or something because it's this bubble with Derek and Odette dancing in it. You know, that thing from the first Swan Princess movie that I think they directly traced over from Cinderella. Yep, yep. It was one of those homages. Also, there's so much autotune. Oh my god. Oh god, this whole, this whole freaking movie. Like, remember how much everybody loved autotune about like eight years ago? Well, it's back in Christmas form. And uh, then they're like, oh, let's put on the royal star and it's gone from its box or something. Oh no, this is clearly the worst thing that's ever happened. And we cut a lot of shots of Nine, like just sort of having shifty eyes and looking smug. Because this movie's not subtle. So Derek goes to look for it and he chases the cat around until he finds the Roth box and Derek opens it and nothing's in there, I guess. And he's kind of like, huh. And then he walks away and finds the star. That's when we get a close up of the chest as Rothbard emerges. Mist starts pouring out. He emerges from the box. Rothbart, who is buff now, and also it's just blue because he's a ghost and like vaguely opaque. And one of his first lines is, I'm gonna so mess with people. Our villain, ladies and gentlemen. Can't do nothing right. Head full of pudding. Head full of pudding. Yeah, you know all of Rothbart's weird vocal tics from the first movie? They're not here anymore. Yeah, because Jack Palance is dead. Yeah. Instead, Rothbart just talks a lot about how he's going to kill Christmas. Yeah, because apparently Christmas is the diametric opposite of the forbidden arts. The cat's like, why did you want to come back at Christmas then? And he says, you have to come back at Christmas if you want to destroy Christmas. That's right. The villain of our show wants to destroy Christmas and Christmas has dark magic blocking powers. This is the interesting part though, because this is the one part where they don't invoke a Christian anything. He just says it's Christmas. I have to destroy Christmas because it's the opposite of the forbidden arts and evil. Not like Christmas. Christ the Savior was born on this holy day or something. Christmas has dark magic blocking powers. Rothbart wants to destroy Christmas so that he can have his dark magic back. And also he has Christmas ruining magic powers. This is like the fox chicken grain puzzle or something. I don't. Then you put the fox and the bag of grain in the boat and you leave the goat back on the shore. So he has a little bit of magic to kill Christmas. So he kills Christmas, but only in Rogers and Uberta, who it turns out from the dialogue, it sounds like they control one show choir, but different parts of it. I just don't understand. And then they start fighting like children because apparently that's how you ruin Christmas. And now I guess they're going to have a competition for whose show choir is the best show choir. I mean, sure. 
this plot point goes on for way longer than it needs to. And I think it was at this point that I paused the movie, checked the timeline, and realized there was still 55 minutes left. I guess this was our first act twist. So outside the castle, the cat is running away from Derek, who is definitely ready to actually strangle a cat to death. Yeah, he is like terminatoring his way after this cat. He's not even at a running speed. He's just stalking after it with rage in his eyes and his flat dead eyes. He doesn't even have any lines. He's just here to kill a cat. While he's doing that, Rothbart's ghost appears in an alcove, but he's stopped by the power of wind chimes in a slight breeze. Giving Derek a real good look at Ghost Rothbart. And also, as he's staring at Ghost Rothbart, his eyes don't blink at the same time. It's like one after the other. And then he runs down to the cellar and he finds the Roth box and he opens it. And it's a gateway to hell! Why is it a hell dimension now? It's like swirling red smoke in there, leading down into a, like a pit of the abyss. It's amazing. Derek doesn't even react. He kind of stumbles away from the box and based on all this circumstantial evidence, guesses the entire plot of the movie. Like, that cat was using me to bring Rothbart back from the dead so he could ruin Christmas, become all-powerful. How did I not see this? I guess the portal to the hell dimension had a copy of the script in it? My favorite part is Derek's other deduction, though, because he meets Odette in a smithy and he explains the whole thing and he's also like, the chimes must stop him because they represent Christmas. You know what? Sure. Fine. I thought it was going to be a music thing, like an Eddie Brock situation. Nope. The wind chimes represent Christmas. What's really great is that this scene includes the line, he's using the forbidden arts to destroy the Christmas spirit, which, oh my God. Oh good, you wrote that down verbatim too. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't not write it down. The the forbidden arts, I guess, are just like black magic. They're also actually personified in a black smog-like thing. With like red eyes, as I recall. It tricks squirrels into trying to kill Odette. So they decide to keep it a secret for now that they know Rothbart's tricky, sneaky stuff. And then we go to an even dumber scene down in the Rothbox room where they decide to brainstorm ideas for how to kill Christmas. And it's it's like, okay, there are no bad ideas. Just let it flow. And there's just a cavalcade of bad ideas. Also, apparently he can't cast spells on Derek and Odette because they have too much Christmas spirit. I wrote that one down verbatim too. In in fact, my notes here read, he's using the forbidden arts to destroy the Christmas spirit in all caps. Oh my God. And then the note right after that is, I can't cast a spell on Derek or Odette. They've got too much Christmas spirit in all caps underlined. Oh my God. You think it'd be something about how like they were the ones who took him down so he can't touch them or something. I also really like how Rothbart being a ghost means that the animators did not have to worry about Rothbart like clipping through scenery or his feet even touching the ground properly. My favorite part is is that even with that, they don't have him float around. He just walks a few feet above the ground. Also, it turns out Derek and Odette hung up chimes like everywhere in the castle, which is, I'm sure, full of pleasing sounds. So Rothbart can't escape. He can't wander the castle. He can't even get up out of the basement because of these wind chimes. He can walk through walls. But I guess he has to, like, go upstairs because he can't float. But sometimes he can. So he goes out to the town and he taunts a statue that's had a Santa beard and hat grafted onto it. So I guess Santa's a thing here, I guess. Good news. We can confirm that because the show choir's back and they're singing Jolly Old Saint Nicholas. And they probably don't mean the Saint Saint Nicholas, the former Bishop of Turkey.
Sparky who punched a heretic. Patron saint of sex workers. You know, Saint Nick. Good old Saint Nick. Speed is Santa now, I guess, in this in this musical number. Because animals are cute. Yeah, get ready for that line. I guess what they're doing is they're dueling show choirs in, in, in now for some reason. And like one's all altos and one's all tenors. So, you know, that'll sound great. And then the other carolers go in for angels we have heard on high. And then all the carolers after the song is over decide they have to kiss animals. Because when something is cute, you just sort of lean toward it mouth first so you can kiss it like you kiss a turtle and a Santa beard? I feel I should point out that, like, tortoises are hilariously incontinent. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sure it ups the cuteness factor considerably. Yeah, definitely. And there's, like, another supply with with the frog wanting to get kissed. Listen, we're just going to ignore the frog subplot from this point forward because we can't do this anymore. Uh-uh. And then Uberta and Rogers just threaten each other with cute animals that they could put in their show, hypothetically, like a zebra. And then they start, like, unrolling various pictures of cute animals, and then the rolled-up pictures of the cute animals turn into lightsabers, and there's an entire lightsaber duel. I feel I should point out that in 2012, the most recent Star Wars movie was Revenge of the Sith in 2005. Mm-hmm. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this scene so much. Well, there's 45 minutes left in the movie, so buckle up. Uh-huh. Let's just go to the orphanage. I actually had to stop the movie at this point and go and do something else for a while. This was one of my breaks from this movie. Oh, it is wearying. It is so wearying. So let's let's just let's try to erase that from our minds because it doesn't matter. The whole scene doesn't matter. And then go to an orphanarium where the only black character in the kingdom exists. She's the lady who takes care of all the orphans. All the singing autotune orphans. Odette wants to use orphans to save Christmas. And then she sits down in an organ and in somebody else's voice says, do you know Christmas is the reason for the seasons? And the orphans know. They know the song. Christmas is the reason for the season, by the way, is apparently an original song, which I didn't realize because I thought it was just going to be Jesus is the reason for the season, which is a song. But this this is new, I guess. But it still directly mentions Jesus. Yeah, because I mean, as we're going to find out, the first two lyrics are Christmas is the reason for the season when Jesus Christ was born. But I mean, I guess if it's an original piece, that makes sense because Christmas is the reason for the Christmas season is utter nonsense. Anyway, now it's time for auto-tune carolers. Ugh. You remember those guys from the song that came right before Princesses on Parade, the little like barbershop quartet? Yeah, the footmen. Yeah. What if instead of that, they all just open their mouths and the voice of one guy layered four times and deeply auto-tuned just came out? That sounds awesome. What's that? Uh, Did you mean to say that sounds like a complete nightmare scenario? That sounds like a fever dream, perhaps? And like Rothbard just casts some magic spells that make them hate each other, as well as some other people in town be like jerks. Yep. Okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's the plot. Rothbart ruins Christmas. Let's move on. Odette is going to save Christmas with Christian songs. I mean, of course, Jesus saves 
I actually, my note here says, Odette's orphan nonsense is going to cure Rogers and Uberta, isn't it? And then the note right below that says, yep. Except it sort of doesn't because it almost saves them. And then they're like, no, I will take the orphans. I'm going to steal the orphans for my number so that it's cuter than your number. Not adopt any of the orphans, mind you. No, just steal. Let's just go. Let's just go out in town with Derek and Odette. Let's just go to that. Derek goes to the blacksmith shop and asks Brom to build a ghost trap so they can save Christmas. So back in the cellar, something actually happens. The cat wants to get paid in his new nine lives right now. He's basically staging a strike until he gets all of his nine lives, which leads to Rothbart saying this is very unprofessional of you, which made me laugh in a weird way. And then the hag comes down to the basement and sees Rothbart's ghost and tries to throw stuff at him and screams. I guess the hag's name is Bridget. But Rothbart doesn't remember, so neither should we. And the hag just like says, oh, I miss working for you, Rothbart. Sure, I'll help you kill Christmas. Bridget, you treacherous hag. Bridget, what about all your makeouts? Yeah, how about your definitely kinky sex life? So over in the kitchen, we have another part of the movie where nothing happens, which is Rogers and Uberta are getting ready to poison the tea for each other's show choir. I hate this. Rogers goes in and goes, hey, I think I lost my voice. What could somebody have given me that made me lose my voice? And the cook is like, oh, this random root I made up. And Rogers is like, cool. And then he puts it in the tea for Uberta's choir. He's like, Rogers, you treacherous hag. And Uberta comes in and also steals some of the tea for Rogers' choir. It's like, you Berta, you treacherous hag! This movie would be like 600% improved if half the lines were just replaced with character, you treacherous hag. And then Odette comes in while they're fighting like children and says, hey, I need you to help me save Christmas. Stop acting like children. And then they both call shotgun in a universe where shotguns don't exist. Wait a minute! Did Rogers invent shotguns? If Rogers invented shotguns, this is a much darker fantasy universe than I thought it was. Like, no wonder he is the way he is. He is dealing with the guilt of forever revolutionizing warfare. He has become death destroyer of worlds. Oh my god. So the hag like basically takes down all the whim chimes and creates a path for Robart so he can get out for some reason. And there's this whole like tension point where the imp is like, let's do a sex. And she has to say, no, no, we'll do the sex later. And then let's Rothbart out, I guess. Rothbart runs after Odette because he's sure he's got enough juice to ruin her Christmas spirit too, only they've already left in the sleigh, so. Odette takes them to the Woodcutter's Village, which I guess you can get to from both Odette's childhood home and Uberta's castle. Apparently so. In a matter of hours, it's fine. Odette says she and her dad basically pulled a good King Wenceslas every single year and left like food and toys and stuff. And she's just like, guys, just just will you do this with me? And also, I'm not going to directly reference this one carol that I could hear because it's not popular with the kids or something. Why would you not even have like an incidental Good King Wenceslas here? Want a fun history corner? Good King Wenceslas was slain by his brother. Do you not want to know what his brother's name is? What's his brother's name? Bolslav the Cruel. That's incredible. Why isn't the song about him? Like, why isn't that the last verse of the song? Good King Wenceslas was killed by Bolslav the Cruel while he was out in the trees gathering winter fuel. <laughs> 
I love Volslav the Cruel. They take all the presents and the food up to the front step of the house very quietly because it's supposed to be a surprise. They bicker about who gets to hold the ham. Then Odette's like, fine, I'll take the ham. And she places the ham on top of the box. And Huberta goes down and picks up the ham and places it down. And then Rogers goes down and picks up the ham and places it down. And then they go around the corner and like, why... Anyway, there's this schmoopy moment where the door opens and they're like, oh, an angel came and brought us food and presents. And this like cures Huberta and Rogers. And like, I don't usually consider myself an overly cynical person, but this is what this movie has done to me. Anyway, Rothbard's wandering the village while Odette is gone and he tries to use his Christmas ruining magic on an old man who is like repairing his Christmas decorations and always dresses up his house. And (laughs) anyway, he's immune to Christmas ruining magic, I guess. Yeah, because there's saving Christmas and like all the people are out again saying like Merry Christmas and junk in the cold and the not quartet is singing God rest ye merry gentlemen I guess. You know the autotune carolers. So then he goes back down to the Rothbox room and he's like cat come help me do stuff and that's the scene and then we go out to the big Christmas tree. There's more frog plot stuff happening but the point is that they see the cat steal a light bulb from the tree and they chase after him forever in a sequence that is way too long and they chase him into the Rothbox room and get locked in a closet and like the cat hands the light bulb over to Rothbart who fills it with evil Christmas ruining magic which seems like all you would have to do would be to just keep that bulb right if they're wired in series you just have to take a bulb out and that whole thing is just not gonna light up and everyone's gonna be real disappointed and hell probably it'll spark a fire But no, we gotta overdo it, because Rothbart never does anything at less than a 10. And now it's Christmas Eve, and I guess there's another original song, and it's auto-tuned to heck and back, I think. You can tell we're getting more and more tired as we talk about this movie. I can't remember anything about this song. Me neither, it just kind of dripped out of my brain. I think that's okay, because it's a terrible song. Do you remember the song? No, it's to the point that even I can't recall the song to sing it and annoy you guys with it. That's how boring the song is. That's world shaking. Like there's a vault under the Vatican. There's a guy who works there that's screaming because all the artifacts are starting to shatter. We have reached a threshold here and I'm afraid to cross it further. But no, we got to finish talking about this goddamn movie. Oh my God. So the hag comes back into the Rothbox room and she's like, there's a plot in the blacksmith where Derek's going to get you. And then it turns out she has double crossed him and Derek gets him. Yay. Bridget was a good guy all along. Except like that part where she definitely didn't talk to anyone and decided to let Rothbard out? I don't know. She was mad because Rothbard didn't remember her name, I guess. Also, Rothbard is now trapped in a giant wind chime cage. Okay. Why not? My next note after that is just Swan Chica, which I'm pretty sure Rothbard says at some point, but I can't remember where. I think you're right. Anyway, let's go to a brass band, which launches into a modern overproduced pop song with no brass in it. It's Joy to the World, and the show choir is sort of pulled down from the flies, which are suspended from nowhere. So those came out of absolutely nowhere, out of the heavens. These ornaments that can hold entire people. And Derek comes over to talk to Odette. He rushed off to stop Rothbart's plan from ruining Christmas, but he took time to change into his formal wear. Yeah, his little white wedding outfit. Except he doesn't have like the huge gaudy like cape binding necklace thingy. I mean, well, they would have to animate a cape. Who wants to do that? Nobody. Nobody wants to do that. They spend enough time on the hair. Odette is also in a slightly fancier outfit that looks actually more on model to her regular outfit from the other movies. Yeah, it's got the poofy sleeves. So, you know, there's a little bit of joy there that is quickly squashed. Derek spots the cat and he goes, 
I hate that goddamn cat. And he spends the like the next five minutes chasing this cat around the stage to the point where he's actually crawling on the floor around Rogers and Uberta, who pay him no mind because he's just like this, apparently. Derek spends an inordinate amount of this movie trying to beat the shit out of a cat. He's the greatest hunter. And the show choir then launches into Here We Come a Wassling, but verse two uh, while he chases the cat. And then like the children come out for a way in a manger, which actually has like a whole nativity. But when the children open in their mouths, they have the same auto-tuned voice as the carolers. Auto-tuned orphans. With adult voices. And then Derek finally notices the light bulb full of glowy Christmas ruining magic. And he goes, oh, the forbidden arts, because apparently he can just recognize that by sight now. I'm telling you, Derek just has a copy of the script that he just keeps glancing at when he's off camera. Incidentally, Odette has been doing absolutely nothing this entire time. Yeah, she's just been sitting in a little box and sort of like pointing at the cat to Derek. Pretty sure they got all of her VO for this movie done in one session. Like, they must have, right? She has, like, seven lines. The movie's named after her. So then they plug in the tree, and nothing goes on fire, but the evil ball makes Rothbard get his body back? And he says, oh yeah, give me some skin, baby, which is deeply uncomfortable. Oh yeah. And then he kills the tree and burns up all the ornaments, and a little kid in the audience is like, Christmas is gone. Oh, God. And like Rothbard starts doing his monologuing thing and talking about how much he hates Odette and Derek and Christmas. And looking at him, I feel like most of the movie's modeling budget went into Rothbard. Like they did him first and that was half the budget. And then they had to make do with the rest of the cast because he is excessively detailed. So like he does this thing where he takes Uberta's crown and he turns it into the crown that he had uh, sometimes in the first movie and puts it on his head. And I guess he's king now. Didn't he want to do it legit? before he died? Last time he wanted to do it legitsies by marrying his niece. Question mark? I mean, that's how you do it. And he mentions that he hates Derek and Odette so much because they got the Christmas spirit all year round. I feel like this movie is trying to retcon that as to the reason why Derek and Odette, specifically Derek, was able to take Rothbart down. I mean, that's gotta be it, right? The great animal can only be taken down by the Christmas spirit. So he like zaps Odette and disappears and he's like, I'm gonna go back to my old castle. Which they explicitly refer to as Swan Lake. Yeah. Yeah, a little on the nose there. Derek like grabs his bow and runs off to the castle and the animals come too and back at Swan Castle? Rothbart makes the castle evil looking and then he swans Odette. Oh joy, more particle effects. More creepy gelatin water particle effects. He just pulled out his big book of swan spells and he's like, I'm ready. He makes like a bramble cage around her and then says he's going to turn her into an ornament when the moonlight touches her wings. She has this amazing line where she says, do what you want with me, but you will never destroy Christmas. Remember when she just kept talking about Derek in the last movie? Oh, I think I preferred that. So Derek arrives and Rothbart great animals, which I guess we're just doing this again. It's just going to be a shot for shot remake of the boss fight from the first movie. Yeah, except Derek has like a flare gun this time. And also he sucks this time. 
time. He sucks real bad. He gets tapped on the temple very lightly by a staircase and he's just gone. He's like Jem walking into a wall. And then Odette sings a shitty Christmas song. I think it's the one they made up about ornaments or maybe it's the one that bled out of my ears that they sung on Christmas Eve. I really wish that this was not a movie with talking animals because I wanted to believe that she was just swan honking a Christmas song at him. Honk, 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 honk. Here's my progression of notes here. Ouchie head trauma. Odette saves the day by swan honking a song at him, question mark. Oh my fucking God. In caps. Oh my fucking God. In caps. She killed Rothbart by singing at him. Then in all caps. What? Yeah, she does that. He explodes. Just because she sang a song at him. I, I guess the song was just that bad. He explodes into light. You know what my favorite part is? The song that she actually sings? I could not for the life of me tell you what the actual words are, but it sounded definitely like Idris Elba's story. So yeah, Rothbart explodes. The Roth box back in the castle just disappears and Derek is almost dead. In fact, then Derek dies. Oh no, Derek's dead. However, will we cope with this? Derek, don't leave me. You can't. You're everything that is good. Really? 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 Derek? Really? And then, Jesus shitting Christ, Odette resurrects him with Christmas music and floaty ornaments. She sings the ornaments back to life and they bring Derek back to life with Christmas magic. What is this movie? The first words out of Derek's resurrected mouth is, You saved Christmas, Odette. And then she says, No, Christmas saved us all. Laura Bailey must be the best goddamn voice actress in the entire world to deliver that line with anything resembling a straight face. Oh my god, how did she do that? How many takes do you think it took for her to say Christmas saved us all with a straight f***ing face? Without bursting into laughter halfway through. Or even sounding like she wasn't just weary just reading that. Christmas saved us... I, I, I can't do this. I, I really, I can't say the line. Christmas saved us all. Again! Christmas saved us all. Feel it more! This is why the voice actors are striking. Christmas saved us all. And, uh, the, the cat runs away, and then the, the tree comes back to life, and then it's time for a dance party, like all movies where you don't know how to end it. And really, anything that happens after this point is just unimportant. The movie just kind of stops. Yeah, they hang a new ornament, and that's kind of it. I know we had a good time making fun of the Swan Princess, but you know what? It had a plot structure. It was all building to a thing. It wasn't just like 45 minutes of vignettes followed by the weirdest boss fight of all time. Yeah, this movie just sort of mints is around for a while. Like, the whole movie is padding. Like, we went into this expecting this would be the so bad it's good, but it's just so bad it's bad. I am tired. I am so tired now. This movie's exhausting. Richard, we really need you to stop, buddy. We need to talk, Richard. You made this and it took an hour and 24 minutes of my life from me. And then you made another musical with these same character models. Except Odette had to, like, move, so you gave her, like, parachute pants. Why does this exist, Richard? Who is this for, Richard? Is it for you? We suspect it's just for you. Why is this for you, Richard? The time to stop has come. We have passed it. You just made another Swan Princess movie about a princess pirate. Stop. It's okay. You had a really good run at first, by which I mean you had Swan Princess. Which was flawed, but delightful. I will even say Elephant Omega is flawed, but delightful. 
It at least delights me. I think it delights Annie, too. Oh, it delights me, absolutely. But that's because it's complete garbage. But at least it brings me joy. At least it makes me feel a feeling rather than just an all-encompassing weariness. That's what we like. We like we like to feel things, Dick. And you're not very good at that anymore. You remember the fox and the hound, Richard? I felt a lot of things about the fox and the hound. You made me cry with that, Richard. You didn't make me cry with this. Well, it made me cry a little bit, but out of boredom, mostly. And the realization that it was like past midnight and I was still watching this movie. As always, the worst thing a movie can do is be boring. And I can't even remember parts of this movie. And I just watched it last night. We're not okay, is what we're saying. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Holidays. Happy Jesus Fest. I'm, I'm so tired. Let's wrap this up. Kit, what are you, what, what's your final fact? My final fact is that you should support the voice actors strike because this is the crap they have to deal with on the regular. Here, here. Mac, what's your final fact? If you're going to include extras on your shitty DVD, make sure to include a magical storybook that adds something that's really creepy and that you never considered before. Annie, what's your final fact? My final fact is that frog on human sexual harassment is no laughing matter. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Thank you for joining us and agreeing with the undeniable fact that Richard Witch needs to be stopped. Richard Witch? Richard Witch? Is that is that his alter ego? Richard Rich and his Richard Witch? Yeah. Is that the hag's name? Maybe. Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't Bridget. Anyway, join us next time. Uh, we'll be back in about mid-January when our next fact will be The Wizarding World of Harry Potter Makes No Goddamn Sense. Until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Oh.